Oh, friends, today is the last time that we are going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount for this series. Jesus is wrapping it up, so we are going to wrap up the series as well. Um, Today is the day where the rubber meets the road. So with that in mind, let us go to God in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. We pray that you would help us to do something good with it. In your name, amen. So about a million years ago, or about 25, in a land far away that I call Maryland, a group of teenagers would gather every Tuesday night for about three months and listen to an elderly gentleman, he must have been at least 40, drone on and on and on for hours about how to drive a car. Because see, at that time in the state of Maryland, driver's education was mandatory, it was not taught in the public school, and it felt more painful than going to the dentist without Novocaine. So each week, our instructor would go over these seemingly pointless and irrelevant things about driving. I mean, really stupid stuff, like how to check your oil, whether or not your tire pressure is good, as if any of these things actually related to driving a car. On one particularly painful night, he decided that we needed to go through the mental math calculations that it takes, that you're supposed to do every time you hit the brakes on your car to decide how far in advance you need to stop before you hit the car in front of you, which we found incredibly irritating because we were supposed to be learning how to drive the car, not stop it. So every 15-year-old in the room agreed that these three months were a complete and total waste of our time. Just give us the car keys, let us drive, we'll figure it out for ourselves. Well, I've often wondered, and, and I sometimes worry, that this is how followers of Christ feel about the scriptures, particularly about the Sermon on the Mount. So much of it seems like stuff that we've heard before. At, at the very least, we know for sure that, that it is stuff that the original hearers of the sermon knew because Jesus would introduce section after section by saying, you have heard it said. But there's a significant difference between hearing something and integrating it into your life and then doing something in response to it. We saw that again and again over the last five months and all throughout this series. Jesus would give us very plain, he didn't try to disguise it or sugarcoat it, just very plain teachings give instructions, even give us commands for abundant life. And collectively then, as a congregation, we have now covered every single word of the Sermon on the Mount. So we can say in truth that we have heard it all. But now we're faced with two questions. First, do we believe any of it, much less all of it, actually applies to us personally? And second, if we do believe that it applies to us, what do we do in response to what we've heard? Well, Jesus closes out the sermon by clearly delineating our options. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rains fall, the floods will come, the winds blow and beat on the house, but it will not fall because it's been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds will blow and beat against the house, and it will fall, and great will be that fall. So in this story, we have two very similar men. Each of them have heard the words of Jesus. Into each of their lives, rain falls, floods come, winds beat and blow against their homes. So what that tells us is that in this world, there are going to be storms. How appropriate. And what we know here in Florida, especially in the wake of hurricane season, is that storms are pretty non-discriminate. They fall on us all regardless. So we have two men who are caught in the same exact storm. One of them builds his house upon a rock foundation. One built his house upon a sand foundation. I was very curious about this idea of building your house on a sand foundation. I wondered, is that even possible? Turns out, anything is possible. So I found this article from a magazine that I have read once in my life called Architecture Now Magazine. How many of you subscribe to that? Well, back in their 2011 edition, I don't even know if they have more than one edition a year, it's almost as intriguing to read as my driver's license class was to attend. The article was about this man who built his house on compacted sand on the Wellington coast in New Zealand. And he's not building like a little shack here. He's, he's building this thousand square foot mansion. And so they brought in a civil engineer to, to talk about this compacting sand, um, which it turns out is extremely sharp. We might not think about sand that way, but if you've ever been out to the beach on a windy day when it hits against your ankles, sand is actually very, very sharp. And of course, it's variable in size. So in order to even get to a place of, of being able to use it as a foundation, they have to compact it and compact it and compact it. Try to think about trying to put pieces together. Do you, do you remember Tetris years ago, the game Tetris? You had to put all the pieces exactly in the right place or you'd lose the foundation. So that's what they try to do, and they try to compact it down as, as far as they can. And in this article in Architecture Now magazine, they even went as far as to say that building standards have changed a lot since Jesus' time, and you can build upon the sand. That is, until the rains come, until the waves beat upon the shoreline and erode the beach and chip away the foundation from underneath. The sand is rock solid until it's not. And that's a helpful image for those of us who want to negotiate as we try to follow Jesus. We don't tend to blatantly walk around each day with a list of the Ten Commandments trying to check off which ones we've hit and which ones we've missed. Instead, what we do, what we do is we try to compact down the sand. We try to convince ourselves that, that if we can just get the sand tight enough, it's going to be a solid for us as a rock. So, for example, we want to follow Jesus, but 
the only day they have available for us to serve at the soup kitchen happens to be the only day of the week that we can sleep in. We want to follow Jesus by loving our neighbors, but the new neighbors who moved in next door, they're from Syria. Syria's in the Middle East. Well, you kind of know all that. We want to follow Jesus, but, you know, we did it when we were raising our kids. Our kids are adults now. We've done our job. We want to follow Jesus, but we want to go on that cruise even more. And the hardest part about all of these justifications that we have is that they're plenty easy to make in the sunshine, right? When your life is going well and everything is easy and it's just all coming together for you, it is so, so easy to, to kind of compromise on what you build your foundation on. You know, you're not really in crisis. You haven't really killed anybody lately. You haven't had an affair with your neighbor's husband. So, you know, technically, you're, you're following Jesus. At least you're not that bad until you are. Now, Sung and I go back and forth about getting a generator at our house, especially in light of the last hurricane season. Sung is all about this generator. I hear more about this generator than I hear about our three kids. Every day, I have to talk about the generator. He was all about the generator during Hurricane Irma. He was all about it afterwards. He's still all about this stupid generator. And, and I have to tell you that I briefly considered it. On day three of no power last fall, I briefly considered it. But then, then when he borrowed the generator from Kareem and we plugged it in and that second the power came back on, I figured, ugh. We don't need a generator. Let's just spend the money in other places. So when Sung brought it up in January, which apparently did not look at the calendar because he was so far away from storm season, I thought he was particularly ridiculous. Why expend those resources when you don't have to? It's not like we were in crisis. It was just easier to wait. Now, I have to confess to you something. I think we're all pretty close, and I can make this confession. There have been very few times in our marriage when Sung has been right. <laughs> but but I, I have to say to you that this is one of them. Because he knows it's a good idea, and I know it's a good idea, but I can make up a million excuses not to follow through, which will be extremely important for each of you to remind me when and if we lose the power this fall and the leaves are sitting around in the dark, Remind me of this sermon. Building your house upon the sand exposes your extremely high tolerance for risk, which is fine up until that moment when risk comes beating at your door. On the other side of this story, Jesus has given us a man who built his house upon the rock. Now, I went to my trusted source on all things architecture, Architecture Now magazine, and I found out that this is a costly undertaking. There are many advantages to building in stone. However, it is durable, it is fireproof, bug and vermin free, and resistant to rot. It lasts for generations upon generations. One trip over to Europe will demonstrate that for you. Or you can go see a lot of the churches in New England that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. When you talk with contractors and builders who work in stone, 
they will admit to you that it is laborious and intensive work. But they will also tell you that they know that their work will run the distance and outlive them far beyond their lifetimes. I wonder then what you have to sacrifice to build in stone. Well, certainly you have to sacrifice time. It's going to take you much longer to build something out of stone. And it seems as though it's going to be much more expensive as well. And you are likely to have to move your physical location. Because while it's always fun to have a house at the beach, there is a reason why homeowner's insurance at the beach is much more costly than it is on the mainland. It seems to me that in Jesus' illustration, he's saying to us that to build your house on the sand, that's a choice. And to build your house on the rock, that's also a choice. And where he locks down this illustration, rock solid, pardon the pun, is by pointing out that both of these men started out from the same place. They both heard the word of God. Jesus isn't putting any loopholes into this, some of those loopholes that we all like to quibble about. Well, what about those people that haven't heard the word of God? No, no. Jesus says they both heard it. They, they both heard it. He's clear. He's direct. This is directed towards those of us who have heard the words of Jesus. So once you hear them, then you have a choice about what to do with them. Actually, you have three choices. You can blatantly go against them. You can work towards them, and that is a process with stops and starts. And I think that the one that most of us like best is that we can feign ignorance and pretend that we didn't know, right? That's like those people that the news crews always find in the wake of a hurricane who will stand on national television, look straight at that camera, and say that they really didn't think the storm was going to be that bad. They were totally unaware. Now, whether or not you like our governor, one of the things that I tremendously appreciated during the last storm season dealt with when he got on TV and he talked about evacuations. And this is what he said. He said, we have told you, we have warned you, if you make the choice not to evacuate, we are not coming to get you because we're not going to risk somebody else's life because you made a poor choice. See, we cannot claim ignorance once we've heard the word. In fact, there is a Latin legal term that tells us that ignorance of the law does not excuse you from abiding by it. And what that means is that here in our little corner of the kingdom, everyone who set foot in worship at any point during the last five months heard the word as it was presented in the Sermon on the Mount. So from this point forward, none of us can say, we, we didn't know. We do know what Jesus asked us to do. We know what Jesus instructed us. We even know what Jesus commanded us to do. We do know, and now is that moment where we have to figure out what our response is going to be. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to come up with an action plan, something that we can measure, something that we can be accountable to. So I think it's great that looks for, it looks like for the foreseeable future, a lot of us are going to be stuck indoors and that we're going to have some time on our hands to be able to sit down and do this. So maybe, maybe what you're going to do to develop your action plan is that you're going to go back, you're going to look at the last two chapters of Matthew. 
you're going to look at all of those different vicious cycles that we've talked about the last five months, and you're going to write them out along with that transformative action that Jesus gave us in each one. And maybe, maybe your action plan is that you're going to take on one or two of those things each year. So you might spend the next year letting your yes be yes and your no be no. The next year, you keep your promises, you keep your commitments. If you say you're going to do something, you do it wholeheartedly. Maybe you're going to be making amends and asking for forgiveness when you fall short. Or maybe you're going to spend the next 12 months focused on your marriage by giving up those things that, that are hurting your marriage, turning away from, from social media or other things that suck up your time away from your marriage, maybe by turning away from pornography or removing yourself from tempting situations. Maybe, maybe the struggle that you've got deals with giving and charity. So maybe in the next 12 months, you're going to be looking at your budget to see where you waste and where you overindulge and reallocating your funds so that you can be more charitable and more generous. Maybe your thing for the next year is that you need to work on grace over judgment. What change in your life can you make to help you judge less and be more gracious? You don't have to go head first into everything that we've covered in the last five months. In fact, I would really encourage you not to do that because that is overwhelming. This is a process. Building your house on the rock is a process. It takes time. But you do have to make that choice to start somewhere. You must start somewhere. So Jesus is telling us in concluding his sermon that now's the time to start. Now we've heard it all. Now we've got to do something with it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded by his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. What makes this sermon so powerful is the source. The speaker is not one of the scribes who said the same old stuff and did the same old things. Jesus is the one who did what he said he would do, who kept his word, who lived with integrity. He took ancient words that the people knew and presented them in a way that they could hear and be transformed by. He spoke with power, the power of God. So as you consider your next steps in response to the Sermon on the Mount, be careful to understand who you're responding to. It's not a situation where you're going to say, I'm doing this because Pastor Hope told me I had to. Or I'm doing this because my church makes me do it. If that is your mindset, then you're going to abandon your efforts before you begin. But if you are serious about responding to the call of Jesus in your life, then you're building on a foundation that cannot be shaken. There came a point in my driver's education class where they did hand us the keys and they did put us behind the wheel. And all of those words, those useless words just floated over our heads all of those months, all of a sudden became very real and very urgent. Because when you get behind the wheel of a car, you are part of a powerful force where life and death hang in the balance. All of those words that we thought were all such an incredible waste 
served as the foundation to an incredibly powerful freedom that can only be understood once you turn the key and actually start to drive. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we have heard it all. We have painstakingly gone through the entire Sermon on the Mount. We have thought about everything, the stuff that we're okay with, the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, the stuff that is going to stretch us. But now we've gotten to that moment of truth, the moment where having heard everything, each one of us has to decide if we're all in, if we're going to go for it, if we're going to follow Jesus. So help us. Help everyone who makes that decision to know that building your house upon the rock is a slow process. It cannot happen all at once. But it is worth the effort because when the storms come, we will be found ready. In your name we pray. Amen.